Welcome to Dark Crossroads Podcast, hosted by Roxanne Fletcher. This is your stop for all things true crime and paranormal. From the infamous story of the New Bedford Highway Killer to the chilling tale of the Black Eyed Children, Dark Crossroads Podcast is a truly deep dive into the stories that frighten and fascinate you. All links to the show will be provided in this episode's description. And don't forget to let us know what you think of today's episode wherever you listen to podcasts. Dorothy Jane Scott was a 32-year-old single mother living with her four-year-old son and her aunt in Stanton, California. She was described by friends and family as a kind-hearted and compassionate person. She was also described as religious and very quiet. One friend described her as dull as a phone book. It also was reported that she had no interest in dating at this time, just focusing on herself and her son. At the time, she was working as a secretary at Swinger's Psych Shop and Custom John's Head Shop in Anaheim. The shops were two different shops but owned jointly, and they reportedly appealed to the hippie culture at the time. Both shops are no longer in business. Beginning sometime in the 1980s, Dorothy began receiving anonymous phone calls from a voice that she said sounded familiar, but she couldn't quite place it. This anonymous caller would be kind one minute and other times would be angry and resentful toward her. The person would call both her home and her work phone. An example of what this person would say is, okay, now you're going to come my way and when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. He made it very clear to her that he was stalking her and would even provide details about her daily routine. Dorothy became, understandably, extremely concerned. She started taking self-defense classes and even considered purchasing a gun. On May 27, 1980, she dropped her four-year-old son, Sean, off at her parents' house on West Stony Brook. She was on her way to an employee meeting that day. During the meeting, a fellow employee named Conrad became very sick. During the meeting, she went over to him to ask if he was okay. Apparently, he didn't respond in a way that would make her confident that he actually was okay. She stopped the meeting and informed everybody that she was taking him to the hospital. A fellow co-worker, Pam, offered to go with him to assist. Before going to the UCI Medical Center, they stopped off at her parents' house to check on her son. An interesting fact is that while checking on her son, she switched from a black scarf to a red one. This does seem pretty odd and random, and for many people, it's easy to take things out of context, but it was a significant note throughout the case. And the reason that this is mentioned here is because this detail does come back up later on in the story. Upon arriving at the hospital and getting Conrad checked in, Pam and Dorothy kept each other company as best as you can do in a hospital waiting room. Something that should be noted is that according to Pam, Dorothy never left to be alone at any time during this visit. The two of them were together the entire time prior to Conrad coming out after being seen. This is also another important detail. Eventually, Conrad emerged and informed the two of them that he was suffering from a spider bite from a black widow. He was discharged around 11 p.m. that night. Conrad and Pam then got in line to get his prescription filled at the pharmacy. 
Dorothy had offered to pull her car up to the front of the hospital to make the walk less difficult for Conrad. Dorothy apparently went to the restroom and then went outside to retrieve her car. As she left the hospital building for the dark parking lot, her colleagues didn't know that it would be the last time that they would ever see her. The completely messed up thing is the fact that she was a sweetheart. She was known for being a compassionate and loving person. She took her colleagues to the hospital and was trying to be as helpful as she could be by pulling her car around to the front. Unfortunately, this kind act was her undoing. After Conrad received his prescription, they both used the restroom. Then he and Pam stepped outside and waited for Dorothy to bring the car around. It seemed to take longer than it should have. The car turned right out of the parking lot and sped out. Pam and Conrad chased, but to no avail. The driver of Pam's car, whether it be Pam or somebody else, turned off the car lights and disappeared into the night. Apparently, in one of the first articles on the case, it mentions a car that was in front of Dorothy's that went the same direction out of the parking lot. It isn't mentioned in later articles, however. Pam and Conrad waited around for several hours, thinking possibly Dorothy had an emergency with her son and drove off in a panic. They called Dorothy's parents and asked if she had picked up Sean, but she had not. After a few hours had passed, they eventually reported her missing. Several hours later, Dorothy's car was found, burning 10 miles away in a Santa Ana alleyway. Dorothy Jane Scott was missing now. She was not in the vehicle that was found, and nobody knew where she had disappeared to. After this, police sent a request in to her parents to not contact any newspapers or any media. Nothing happened regarding Dorothy's disappearance for a week. But after this week, that's when the call started. At this point, Dorothy's parents were silently grieving their daughter, but also not giving up on her. One day at home, the phone rang at the residence of Dorothy's parents. Dorothy's mother answered the phone. Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Was a disguised male voice speaking into the phone. Her mother stated, yes. The caller said, I've got her, and then hung up. Around a week later, Dorothy's father's patience understandably ran out. He contacted the Santa Ana Register, and they ran a story regarding Dorothy's disappearance. The day that the story was released, the editor of the story, Pat Riley, received a phone call also. The male caller told Pat, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having somebody else. I killed her. He also provided details to prove that it wasn't a prank call, that Dorothy wore a red scarf, and that Conrad had suffered from a spider bite. He stated that Dorothy phoned him from the UCI Medical Center. However, Pam, the friend that was at the hospital with her in the waiting room, disputed this, stating that she and Dorothy were always together while Conrad was being checked, except to use the bathroom before going out to the parking lot. Investigators confirmed the alibi of Dorothy's ex and father of her child. His alibi was to be considered airtight. The case seemed to go cold, but the calls kept coming. Almost every single Wednesday, the calls came to Dorothy's parents' house. The calls would come in when only Dorothy's mother was home, alone. They would say, is Dorothy there? I've got her. I've killed her. Her father wiretapped their phones. They have recordings of his voice. It's described as gruff and plainly disguised. 
However, the caller would never stay on the phone long enough for the calls to be traced. The calls finally stopped in April of 1984 when he called and Dorothy's father for the first time answered the phone. The caller hung up immediately. In August of 1984, a construction worker discovered some skeletal remains in a pile of brush off of Santa Ana Canyon Road in Anaheim. A turquoise ring and watch were also found, which were used to identify the body. The watch was stopped on 5-29-1980 at 12.30 a.m. A week later, an autopsy would confirm the remains as well. The cause of death could not be determined, and there was also remains of a dog on top of Dorothy's remains. Dorothy did not own a dog. Not all of Dorothy's remains were discovered. It was only a partial recovery. This included a pelvis, an arm, two thighs, and a skull after the announcement ran in the paper. Dorothy's mother, again, received a phone call after this. All the caller stated was, is Dorothy home? The calls stopped soon after this. Dorothy's father passed away in 1994 and her mother in 2002. To this day, Dorothy's killer has not been brought to justice. Police worked tirelessly and did extensive investigation on this case. They looked into her friends, her co-workers, her family. She was a known homebody and dated very rarely. According to her parents, she wasn't actively dating anybody at this time. The guy that was calling had to have been watching her or informed to Dorothy's whereabouts very quickly the day that she was abducted. The meeting that she was attending that day may have been out of routine. If the meeting was not routine, then that's very interesting to think about. But the incident regarding Conrad and her taking the trip to the hospital, that was definitely not part of her routine. This guy had to know that she was with Conrad and Pam. He also seemed to know the little details like the red scarf and the spider bite. This man clearly knew her routine and what she wore daily and did daily. At her job as a secretary, she worked in the back mostly, so she didn't have much contact from what people understand. It seems like a narrow suspect pool if you look at it from a big picture. Something that seems very important too that stands out to me is the description of a second car going the same direction as hers that was eventually dropped by other articles. If the statement is true, it could mean that there was an accomplice to her abduction. If it is not true, then that means that the kidnapper either drove there or was dropped off by somebody. And in that case, it would still be that there was an accomplice. And if that is so, then that means there's somebody out there, another human, who knows what happened that night. If he did drive there and then abduct her, that means that his car was left in the parking lot so he had to have come back at some point to get his car. In this scenario, he would have either had to walk 10 miles back to the parking lot to get his car, get a lift from somebody, maybe hitchhiking, or take a bus or something like that to get his car. Or maybe there was two or more people involved in this, meaning that the abductors kidnapped Dorothy and drove her car and the accomplice or accomplices drove their car off as well. Whatever did happen and whatever is true, it is clear to everybody that there is more to this case than meets the eye. The length of time that this case has gone unsolved leads many to believe that it will always be unsolved. At Dorothy's funeral service, Dorothy's brother Jim stated, 
To me, she exemplified the word give. She would just give and give and give. No matter what it cost her, she spent her last hours giving and being concerned about others. If you or someone that you know has been or is being a victim of stalking, you can visit Stalking Prevention Awareness and Resource Center, SPARC, for many resources. And also, if you know anything about the murder of Dorothy Jane Scott, you can submit a tip anonymously through the Orange County Crime Stoppers website. Alright guys, so thank you so much for hanging out again today. For more details on the podcast or the cases that we covered, then head on over to the website www.darkcrossroadspodcast.com where we have all of the episodes, um, information about the podcast, merch, and also a blog covering every single case and it going into more description including links to all the places that you need to make phone calls to or resources regarding the case. You can also find us on uh, most social media platforms. Don't forget to like, share, rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening to us. You can subscribe to the podcast. There is a link in all episodes in the notes that will send you to our subscription page and with that you will get bonus content, discount on future merch, and a lot of other extra goodies and kind of behind the scenes information. Um, So every single donation through the subscription and any other place goes straight to the podcast. It helps fund research and it really helps us out to keep this podcast going. So before I go, I just want to thank all of my listeners for your continued support and for sending in cases that you wanted covered and stories that you wanted read on the podcast. We truly accept all stories, scary, paranormal, um, funny, anything that you want read or you want me to know, send it in. And any cases that you want covered, please send in. You can email those to darkcrossroadspodcast at gmail.com. And with all of this said, Please don't forget to be weird, stay different, and don't trust anyone. Dark Crossroads Podcast is brought to you by Problem Wildlife. Problem Wildlife serves all of Western Massachusetts and has been humanely protecting your house and your family from unwanted pests for over 20 years. Take back your space with an animal control service that you can trust. They are family owned, fully licensed, and are knowledgeable and dependable. To find out more about their services, simply visit their website at www.problemwildliferemoval.com. Again, that is www.problemwildliferemoval.com and their information will be included in our show notes. 
The Curiosity Box delivers the cerebral fascination of Vsauce right to your door through engaging science toys, surprising puzzles, and books that expand our understanding of the universe. The creators worked together to create, design, and handpick each illuminating item in the Curiosity Box, including constructive kits, brain games, and imaginative custom t-shirts. Every orderly delivery will turn your home into a laboratory of wonder. If you have always been curious about the world around you, then subscribe to the Curiosity Box and have access to the most popular science education network on YouTube as it energizes a community of Earth's most inquisitive minds with videos spanning science, math, and the human experience. And now all of that passion is in a box pulled off the screen and put in your hands. You can also receive monthly courses spanning popular academic disciplines to inspire and nurture the next generation of curious thinkers, innovators, and inventors. They are delivering a deeper learning experience through AR, VR, and video lessons on the MEL app. Join the curious community on their journey to explore the world. Celebrate the amazing and support brains for the future of our pale blue dot and beyond.